Now, welcome to a very special edition of the Last Edit Podcast with myself, Citizen Sleeve, as usual, my wonderful friend, Silver Hawkins. And today, our special guest for our 25th episode, Carrick from ACG. ACG. Yeah, and wait a minute, you're, this is your 25th? Yeah. Oh, wow, congrats. Uh, uh, 26th if you include the uh, Game of Thrones special, but we kind of section that off as its own thing because it was TV. Yeah. Right. Right, so this is a weekly film podcast, for those who don't know. Uh, Silver and I alternate between different films, and then we discuss them week on week. And this week, our special guest, Carrick, has decided to choose one of my favourite classic kids' films. I was three when it came out, and I've watched it for, I don't know, every few years, most of my life. And that is 1982, Jim Henson, Frank Oz, The Dark Crystal. It's a childhood classic. It's got some of the best, if not the best, puppetry ever produced in any medium it has some wonderful art design and it's got a bit of a naff narrative but we'll get to all those points so very basics a crystal cracks a shard becomes this separate thing other in the world somewhere that needs to be found and these two races are born the skexies and the mystics from this one race when the crystal is cracked a thousand years pass and slowly the races are dying and the mystics and the skeptics are connected so when one dies another one of their race dies and this kid jen needs to fill this prophecy to find the crystal from ogra take it and restore it to the dark crystal and bring back the original race and restore the land and that is the basics of the dark crystal so as our guest today carrick and your choice what were your kind of initial thoughts going back and rewatching it? Well, first I want to say, I apologize to everybody if I look like my polygons are going away on my shoulders, but my green screen's a little fucked up. <laughs> um, uh, well, first of all, the reason why I chose it is because, yeah, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I, we're going to have to talk about the NAF narrative, because I think NAF in your vernacular means in some way wrong or broken. Not great. <laughs> so, yeah, so I want to talk about that. Um Dude, it's awesome, man. It's just like, it, it's one of the greatest things. And I think the reason why I chose it is because uh, Mike Quinn, who is one of the puppeteers, just did a Kickstarter where he wrote a book on the like top 40 movies he's worked on. And yeah. I can give you guys a link if you want to post it in the YouTube whenever you post this, but he's got a Kickstarter up. And I started looking into his history and the stuff that they did behind the scenes for that movie. And it's crazy. I mean, technolo technologically wise, it's crazy, but also just the physicality of the roles behind the scenes. Because mm. like they were talking about how the Skeksy and all of the way that they handled the um, physicality of the puppetry was different than most of the other movies they had done. They discussed some of that. Um, I would say overall, it's just it's probably one of the top movies that sort of um, facilitated my love for dark fantasy, B movies and video games, because like when when I started looking at those there was D D, and then there was like atari 2600 and then there was like your snes and stuff like that and that's when you started getting like zelda who mm. i thought looked like an elf you know at the time yeah. obviously does more now but like when it first showed up like those things just sort of became parallels for me yeah. and then i jumped into games i jumped into games i would say because of that and because of labyrinth and those older the high fantasy i love the high fantasy never ending but, story and yep, yeah yep, yep definitely that's how I felt. Silver? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny because I don't I don't know that I've ever, I'd ever actually seen Dark Crystal because I think it might have oh. been so long that I was so little that I just don't remember it. 
but it, it never really saw like wide circulation here. It was never, mm. but unlike Muppet Show, Fraggle Rock, and stuff, it was never really mm. um, broadcast on television, um, like syndicated here, uh, to my knowledge, not that I caught anyway. Um, so it was really interesting to sort of return to it, especially because I am a massive Jim Jim Henson fan. I mean. I think Henson was probably, arguably, the most brilliant uh, children entertainer of our time. Um, yeah. Because he didn't treat children as children. His his films work, or not just his films, but his work works on multiple levels for adults and children, mm. whether you're watching Sesame Street or Muppet Show or, or whatever it is. Um, it just works on multiple levels with, with Jim Henson and... Um, and yeah, as you touched on, just the, the technical level of the puppetry is um, is really impressive. Although, I mean, I it did it. There was one point where that that annoyed me consistently throughout the film. Where I think maybe maybe it's because the Gelflings, uh, Jen and Kira, are probably the least expressive puppets Henson has ever made. Yeah, yeah. Very and I found so. that I found that very sort of disconnecting because they were very they always seemed very stiff like their arms were always mm -hmm. in the same like angular movements mm -hmm. and stuff and compared to like Agreed. the puppetry of like uh, the the monks um, the mirror uh, guys of the um, of the Skeksis, oh, the Skeksis. yeah and and the Skeksis themselves who were so good as well as pretty much all the other like the podlings as well were also really really good and really really expressive and felt alive. I just consistently throughout the movie did not buy Jen or Kira as, as living creatures. They were always just puppets, um, mm. which is also bizarre because Jen is puppeted, puppeteered by Jim Henson himself. So, yeah, right. So it's not like, um, so yeah, it, it was also made a, a little enhanced a little by the fact that they appear to switch between a puppet and a child actor. So there are yeah, there are multiple scenes. Shots. Yes, there are multiple yeah. scenes where you can see it's like it's like a child actor moving around in in costume, where the where the movements are natural and stuff. And then you have that transposed with the scenes where it's the puppet with the weird angular arms and stuff. Um, that sort of makes it stand out all the more. But yeah, I'm just I'm so happy this movie exists. I'm I was so happy to see it. Uh, it is visually arguably the most arresting movie Henson has made um, just in terms of art design and character design. Uh, yeah. I, I, there were elements of it. I, I struggled with, but, but I just really admire it as a production. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I'd say Henson is to, to puppetry what Ray Harryhausen is to stop motion. You know, that's yeah. how important this guy is in terms of what he did for puppets and how he popularized them don't need to go through everything he's made, but some of his work is stunning. But this, in my opinion, is, as you said, the most aesthetically astounding of all the films he's made. And part of that is because it's an entire world that, that's created. And there are no real human actors, apart from those wide shots where you have them, you know, um, yeah. walking about and doing the actual movements. I think part of the problem with Jan and Kira is not only the more human-like um, design... Yeah. Rather than the other puppets, which like, the monsters look, um, the Skeksis look stunning in this. Um, it's a lot to do with the way the puppets are set up mechanically. The Skeksis yeah. are big and elongated, and you know when you're pulling strings essentially to move the fingers, it's quite robotic. But that looks fine with Skeksis. But when you're doing human-esque characters, and 
the very robotic nature of the movements. It just doesn't quite look right. Playing and the also, flute. Yeah, I don't yeah, know if you guys saw that yeah. scene. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like the 8-bit video game version. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, but Jen is just a terrible character. Jen does two yeah, things in the entire blind. movie. Entire movie, he does two things. First of all, plays a little flute, or whatever it is, to make the dark crystal um, glow purple, the shard. And he can read. Kira can't read, so he can read the prophecy. The problem with that is everybody in the entire film tells him the prophecy over and over and over again. <laughs> but yeah. if you take a... I mean, it's, it's a very classic, very simple fairy, fairy tale hero's journey narrative. One of the reasons I found out when I read up about its, um, its production is because originally the script didn't have English um, dialogue in it at all. Yeah, correct. It was correct. some gibberish language they created. Yep. And then they had to go back in and redub the sound in English to match the gibberish motions they've been doing with the puppets. So that was difficult. But what that did was initially they had this really skeleton story and they never kind of built upon that with any depth after they then introduced the English actors back in or the, or the new actors. So that's one reason. But if you take out the narrative and you take out Kira, uh, uh, you know, constantly saving a stupid Jen who can't do anything for himself or stand there blankly staring at everything around him that's completely blown his mind. If you look at the Skeksis and their design, the general and Chamberlain and, and the science one with the monocle and the, the one who's always stuffing his face and has that squashed snout. And then you look at the, uh, the, the way the mystics are designed and the way that they kind of are hunched over and they have these markings and they, yeah. they look exactly as they sound, these magicians of the land. And then the over just the opening, guys, just the opening, that shot of the, of the Skeksis surrounded by the dark crystal. And the uh, the purple beams in their eyes, and then we slowly pull out with that wonderful narration to the castle, and the black skies rolling, and that's it, I put it in alongside stuff like uh, in tone, black cauldron and watership down right. that is there to try and scare kids a little bit, not just be happy go lucky yeah. kids movie, and that whole opening scene where the emperor dies, and leading up to it, the music is quite uncomfortable and a bit bombastic and you know and puts kids on edge and i think i love that when i was a kid dark fantasy man i love it um i don't know if you so to me i felt that um Jin was just supposed to be a reflection of a child being surprised by everything so i just assumed he was the human's camera the watcher's mm, yeah. camera so that's why i was okay with him being pretty one-dimensional and not really having anything other than the ability to read what i did like though is speaking about the opening and understanding you understand pretty quickly the skexies are sort of reflective of the seven deadly sins which i thought was cool yeah, yeah. You and know, then they got added two more yeah. and then they added two more but what i liked was when you look at the mystics and you look at the skexy especially as the movie continues forward and they start um they even call one of them a gelfling sucker it's a like a slang like he talks down to the scientist and he's like you better fix it, Gelfling sucker. And then he walks off. What I thought was cool was the vampirism sort of ideal of the everything. Because what you get is the mystics who are always intelligent, but physically really slow. Really, I mean, barely able to move, really. But they're intelligent, right? And that, that cool split where the Skeksis never get more intelligent. But they can take that <laughs> vampirism almost. And they can get you know they heal themselves yeah. they get physically stronger physically younger but they can never become more intelligent and they do such a good job within the first like 15 minutes of you if you understand those kind of things as an adult as a child 
you probably wouldn't put all this together. But as an adult, you start to understand like the split and how they're they are not at all um, whole beings, either ones. Even though you mm, see the yeah. mystics as these nice blah blah blah, if you watch the way they move, you're like, wow, these guys are arthritic. I mean, well, I, I call them arthritic, but you know what I mean. They're like, yeah. they're like they ba barely have any physicality. Barely yeah. able to move. And they even have to lay on that their tables, their special tables to hold their necks. Their yeah. Like everything about them appears like an uncomfortable animal or something like that. And I thought that first, the first starting, they split the stone. Then you understand the Skeksis and the Mystics are split. Um, was just, was phenomenal. Another thing that I thought was cool about the puppetry when we were talking about the different things is... Um, with the Skeksis, they were showing that it was one of the first uses of a pin camera. So the person who was in the Skeksis suit, the suit was on their hips, so it would be super high. And then they would use a little tiny mic, a little tiny screen, and they would try to watch where they were going. And they would have four people beside them doing the left arm, where the right arm was yeah. the, the actor. Mm. And they were saying that by doing that, they were able to make the Skeksis physical where they couldn't do the same thing with the other guys. And so they were able to make, like when they uh, smash the, when they do the test of strength and they smash that sword against the, yeah. the cutting stone, mm. it looked, it looked like you don't see that in puppetry. A lot of times there's no force in puppetry. In fact, Muppet show takes advantage of that by tossing Muppets into the air. Right? Yeah. Like, that's the mm. joke. You know, you right, can, that there's, sense, yeah. there's a sense of weightlessness. And instead, the Skeksis are grounded. Like, they're insanely grounded. And they, the, the strength that they show just, like, smashing that stone. Even Chamberlain, who's considerably weaker than... Um, I can't remember the main leader. The guy uh, the who general. becomes... Just the, the general. The general. Which uh, like makes un perfect sense. I think, right? Urga. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's no names for all of them. Yeah, when he when they when he smashes it, Chamberlain does good damage. But when that guy he does that big guttural scream and he smashes that, yeah. I don't think yeah. I don't think that physicality would have reflected very well if they had if they had done it normally. And I love the idea mm. that they all work together in concert, which unfortunately shows why like the Gelflings don't maybe look as as good, you know, because they weren't able to do that. But yeah, I really I really dug that starting. I think they did a great job sort of setting up story. Mm, absolutely did. I think uh, I think the music in this is is one of the major standouts. Before we carry on to the narrative, I just from the very opening, dun dun dun, it's so it's so yeah. iconic. And yeah. you know, this is a composer. It's, I can't remember his name now. Trevor something. It yeah, Trevor Jones. Work, I think Trevor Jones, who's were you know Excalibur, which we covered in one of our earlier podcasts. You know, wonderful soundtrack, perhaps a touch overused. Uh, Labyrinth. He then did. Dark City he did. So he, he, he's very good at this type of slightly more, well, kind of more darkly focused fantasy type films that need that air of, uh, of fear and unease and mystery about them. Some of the some of the tones and tracks and the kind of mystics theme and then the Skeksis theme and how when they they're riding the bats. together. Oh man, the crystal yeah. bats. Which yeah, look, those things are amazing which looks looking. Crazy, because all the they... way the light's bouncing off them. Yeah. And the Reminds whiskers. Reminds me of the owl. Yeah, they, mm -hmm. the Allens in uh, yeah, Nim Clash. Oh, in Clash. Oh, yeah, yeah, what yeah. they were with their whiskers and shit. They just they look like bat mole walking creatures. They yeah. were creepy yeah. as hell. Yeah. yeah, almost like a precursor to the bloody um, uh, labyrinth. The the crazy orange that could take the heads off. Uh, weird. Oh yeah, definitely those weird designs. I love the creature designs in this. I thought Ogre it was really well designed. Yeah, yeah. I thought her her character is really funny. They're the bit when she first meets uh, Jen, she's like, he's like, w where's your master? Is he around here? 
he's already dead. Oh, he could be anywhere then. It's a brilliant line. Or when she kneels in front of the Skeksy and groans from arthritis. <laughs> she's like, she yeah. tries to kneel and she's like, <laughs> and she yeah. sits down and you're like, wow, there's some weight to that. Like, yeah, yeah. that was great, man. I love that character. I, I love her, her home as well. You know, oh, the, dude, the yeah. Planets spinning everywhere in brass and how that... Um, later escalates into Jin, you know, trying to escape via climbing across it. That, again, that physicality that you don't now see because everything tends to be CG'd and yeah. doesn't really work in the same way. Just some of it is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, the design work is, is absolutely outstanding. There's, and the, the fact that pretty much everything, in fact, everything is set-based. There's no location shoots for obvious reasons. Yeah, everything right. is set-based. They get this really nice feel, almost like legend a little bit. You know, just that that kind of atmosphere and tone. Musically, um, I also noticed when I was listening to it just now, uh, prior to the podcast, was that there there was a couple horns, but most of it's like strings. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I noticed was even in like the really action scenes, there wasn't a lot of really fast paced <laughs> stuff. There was like a, there there was usually like everything sort of went from one to the other. So they would share the strings from one theme, move them over here, and then add a little high pitch or a, a high tempo thing to it. But it was all these layers that sort of shared from one to the other to the other. And I didn't I wasn't aware that he was a composer on um, some of those other ones. I didn't I was not aware he was a composer on Excalibur. But it is shows his strength because Excalibur is nothing like this to me. Excalibur is no, that bombastic yeah, yeah. Da, 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 and you're just yeah. like. I'm a badass on a sword, you know, with a fucking horse. I'm on a, you got my sword. Dun, and instead, dun, yeah, yeah, here it, it's moody the entire time, even when there's action. It's moody, yes. which I think is hard to portray for mm. a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, I think it got a mixed reception back when it released. And I think it's because, unfortunately, this is something Henson fought against pretty much his entire career, which is this perception that pup puppets are for children. Um, right. And that they sort of have to go for the co lo lowest common denominator, right? And I think mm -hmm. really, um, Dark Crystal is a sort of rebellion and expression against that uh, that sense that that no, we can't do other things with with puppeteering, and we can. And I think, I mean, I, to me, that's obvious because a puppeteer is basically an animator. Their their function yeah. is the same. They have to physical breathe, animator. Yeah. They have they have to breathe life into what what is dead and create a living, breathing, um, believable being. Mm. Like for an animator, it's doing it with lines of drawing. And for a puppeteer, it's doing it from motions of a puppet and, and expressions and stuff. Um, so I think it's pretty obvious that, I mean, that, yeah, puppeteering is like animation. You can do the same things with, to an extent with, with puppeteering that, that you can do with animation. To also show his intelligence, I don't know if you guys saw this, but there's a behind the scenes with Jim in Dark Crystal, and he buys a bunch of Muppets from around the world, and they bring them in, and he's testing them, and within like seven seconds, he knows if they're going to work in the movie. Like, he <laughs> grabs this one, and he puts his hand in here, and he's like, ah, this won't work, and they're like, why? And he's all, look, and he showed where his thumb was and where the lower lip of the creature was. And the lower lip of the creature extended this far, far past his thumb. And he's like, you can't emote that way. He's all, that means the, the, the lower lip is just going to flap. You have to yeah. have your thumb, which we saw in Labyrinth later, where a lot of the characters had a divot where you could see somebody could move using a thumb and cause mm. the lower lip to crease. And that was crazy. He was so good. He just grabs these off the table <clears throat> and he's like, nope, that won't work, blah, blah, blah. And he, he's explaining it. You just see all the puppeteers going like, 
oh shit, he's going for something way beyond what we thought. Like, I mean, you could tell, you could see him all sort of gather around. He's just like, this one won't work because of this. Um, you're gonna have to re-sew this lower lid. And I was just, it, it was, it was impressive to see a master sort of. Yeah. And he wasn't a jerk. He was, he was very positive no, towards everything. But the he was very just opposite. like, yeah. Yeah, he's very opposite. He, but he was just like, uh, yeah, this won't work for us because I need it to be more emotive here and here. And, mm. and you could see people sucking up knowledge as they were talking. <laughs> like, you just see them going, you know, making sure they were writing that into their memory from that point forward. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it was awesome to see some of the behind the scenes for this. Very cool. It's actually a really difficult film to release. Um, a deal was in place, um, but then Lou Grade sold ITV, um, that distribution part of ITV. And... Mm. The only way they could get it to release was Hansen had to fund it himself. So he just got the money oh. for himself. Um, it, it cost twenty million to make, I think, which you know it's a tiny budget. Made forty million, um, did okay, and really it, it was a cult status that slowly built up over the years, and um, a bit like Rocky Horror Picture Show, that kind of thing. The mm -hmm. way it, you know it kind of did okay in the theaters, but then over time it's just gone a little bit boom. And now with the series coming out in August, I think you know. Yeah. But let's uh, let's keep back into the narrative a bit then. So. Emperor's dead at the start there. The, the wisest of the mystics, who happens to be Jen's master, is dying as well. And we see him show Jen this, well, a hologram, but magic vision of the shard. And he explains again what, what Jen has to do. And so he dies. And yeah, then that, Jen sets off on this journey. That, that scene bothered me a little bit because he's supposedly uh, the smartest or wisest of the mystics. And yet he that was like, oh, I mean, I, I know I should have told you all of this, but time just kind of got away with me. I'm sorry. No, you're just going to have to go and do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> now I'm going to dead. Now I'm dead. Uh, and the fact that he didn't appear to share it with his fellow mystics either, because like they're completely, it seems they're completely clueless up until the moment they hear the crystal. And that's when they yeah. start moving. Like, he didn't clue them in earlier that that, that they were going to try and start to move towards um, reforging the crystal. Um, right. Yeah, that, that kind of bothered me a little bit. I think I, the, the problem with the mystics is that they're, they're all kind of the same. They're quite. I think most of the, the, the design work and the real effort, not saying it didn't take effort, obviously, but most of the real focus went on the Skeksis because they're all individual. They look different. They've yeah. got little ticks in their faces and very precise movements. Um, they have very distinct characters. They're the ones that we really get to know. The mystics, apart from the master, we don't hear speak or do anything apart from the end. And they all look the same, apart from maybe bits of clothing. So you can see that the, the effort... And you can the Skeksis look amazing, man. They look absolutely amazing. The, the bit that you, we started talking about where... The Empress died and the leadership challenge happens and it's a general and Chamberlain. Chamberlain's this whiny little spying, um, um, just underhanded Skeksy who wants to try and worm his way into places. And the general is the big bulky loudmouth, I'm in charge now and they do the stone thing. But when they strip him of his... Yeah. Uh, of his of his garments and out make him an outcast you know all these spikes off his back a weird design globules and the way the legs are kind of like chickens almost and stand half back just really amazingly designed but then you've got the the Skeksis guards come with the name exactly now but the, the ones that look kind of like beetles yeah they look a lot like Mylurks from uh, from fallout from fallout yeah i kind of like him i like the way they scuttle but as design-wise, not so much. But yeah, that that whole Empress sequence and after that and the fight is really, really cool. I love that. The Gartham. Gartham. Yeah, Gartham. 
Um, so for me, I took it that the mystics were the brains, um, and their bodies were just there to hold their brains. So there was nothing supposedly physical, like going to differentiate them because theirs was all inward. So I was okay with that. I get it for sure. I also think the Skeksy, they just knew that's where most of the battle would be or most of the filming would be. So they're like, Hey, this is what we'll do. One of the things I liked about Chamberlain, who I still believe is absolutely a precursor for Starscream and Megatron in uh, Transformers because talking to, or uh, sorry, watching interviews with people who created G.I. Joe and what they wanted with the cartoon, they did know about Dark Crystal. And I mean, dude, if you look at Chamberlain, he is Starscream in Mm -hmm. every single thing. He acts, his voice, his, uh, just everything about him. And then the generals like Megatron. One of the things I did like when they stripped him is Jim Henson was talking about how, or Frank Oz, sorry, was talking about how difficult it was to strip him and make it look good on camera. They said it was, they they did an interview and they were like, it was redonkulous. He's like, we wrote it and then we tried to film it. We're like, oh no. And Mm. so they had actors throwing clothes. They were at his feet and the guys would do this. And then the actors would throw clothes over their shoulders in time with the Skeksy pulling an arm back. So it looked like a Skeksy was grabbing the clothes. And they said one of it was to not damage all the Muppets too. They didn't want to damage all of the, the, you know, you didn't want to end up hitting something and scratching it or tearing that, that fabric. But yeah, that was, that was a great scene at the starting there sort of solidified Chamberlain too, because he slinks off, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he's not going to stop there. I mean, they strip him, they ostracize him. They do all the things that, you know, we know native indigenous people did in the past for like, if somebody did something wrong and yet he comes back anyway. You know, it's, it's funny though. By that point, that by that point, I kind of wanted to throttle him to death because that whole <laughs> mm, he does like my favorite <laughs> thing in the world, bro. <laughs> really started yeah, well, 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 after well, like well, the first do- dozen times or so. <laughs> yeah, it's that. It's it's called a mule, and I love that sound is called a mule, and I love it for him. I don't know why. I can see why it would annoy people, <laughs> but as I grew up, that was such a thing. It was like the predator yeah. click. Yeah, yeah, in the really wo- iconic to that character. It's iconic film. to it that, is. yeah. And uh, we used to do it on the radio at our old job, where if every if it was a weekend and there were just a couple of us, somebody would get on and be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and just and just pass it out to everybody. But uh, yeah, there was. I think that was also puppetry, right? It was because you can't do yeah. a lot of physicality, so maybe some sound effect or the yeah. vocalization might have been why they were doing that too. Was to give I, you. I a, it was Frank Oz as well. I mean, you know. Yeah, the, the 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 way he created that that the the voice of Chamberlain is bloody amazing. I just yeah, it really crazy. nails the underhanded nature of the character. You know, skulking off now to try and find his think... path back into the it, it, it was it wasn't us who voiced him though. I think was it? No, no was the, he the, the only the, puppeteer? Was he? Uh, I don't know. I saw a video where the guy is controlling uh, the the right hand or the left hand and some of the facial stuff for him i don't remember if it was frank oz i don't i don't okay. remember if he was the so voice might have been okay. but whoever it was yeah, yeah they just good. i mean amazing amazing job i i think that also the scientist character with his little monocle, monocle. and the gelflings like when it starts to move forward <laughs> into the story and you start to see that they're sucking the power of the gelflings out and you, you also start to pick up on the fact that he says that the reason why they always fight for power is because only the ruler which I didn't remember because I hadn't watched this in a while. Only the ruler can drink the essence of the yeah. Gelflings. 
Yeah, not all of them. Powerful and, yeah. yeah, which was interesting. So it's like you're already powerful because you're leader, and then it's sort of another boost to keep you on top, mm. kind of thing. It was it was like it was like Pit Fighter, the video game, way before <laughs> you know. Pit it's like yeah, it's like grabbing power ups <laughs> and shit for the for the main leader. Um, I, yeah, it was it was awesome. All of those different Skeksy, I think, were the were the best parts. Did you guys think the woods and forests? So when when the journey starts and they they start getting on the man bats, I don't know what the names of those things are. Like the they start stars. riding striders. Striders. Um, yeah. what did you guys think of the forest scenes? Like where you see like different because we see that in a lot of these older movies where they show a forest and they'll show like weird anemone creatures and shit in the forest. I personally felt that that was it, I, either they didn't spend enough time on it. I don't know why I was just disappointed in it. I guess maybe it's just because I just watched it again and I'm not a kid anymore. But it looked it looked like that a little way you guys were describing the Gelflings, a little wooden. Like mm. so it just there wasn't enough or something. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think one of the the issues I had overall with the film is that there isn't really a whole lot. <laughs> We, we, we often uh, complain that there's too much exposition exposition in films quite often. Right. Um, mm. I think maybe there wasn't enough in, in Dark mm. Crystal. Like, okay. We could have used Fair a little enough. bit more to sort of just flesh out the world uh, and and the different communities and who's who make who, who make it up, like like the podlings and stuff. Um, mm hmm Because there, we do, do just kind of move from place to place without any real context of or idea of where we are. Right. Um, it doesn't feel like a journey as such. Yeah, it's like prophecy, setup, forest, Skeksis, forest, Skeksis, Skeksis, done, end. Yeah. Yeah, we just kind of move from place to place. I, I know what you mean, Karak. It's... I don't want to say generic, because a lot of the creatures in it, um, and, and the way well, the plant life... It's just lean. It's just it's, lean. It's, yeah, it's very lean. It's incredibly sparse, and we don't... Y you don't get a sense of being there as you do with a lot of the other places around the, the film. And in particular, uh, the tower itself and, and the area around it, you know, by comparison. Or even uh, um, Ogre's, Ogre's house. You know, the, maybe they the, didn't the want to show it as stuff. verdant. Like, maybe they didn't mm -hmm. want, maybe they wanted you to think it was Spartan and barren. And so even the the swampy areas didn't have a lot of life, maybe? Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, And maybe, mm -hmm. like, the, the, the forest hadn't been encroached upon, so it was still yeah. innocent. So if it matches the yeah. characters, I guess. But yeah, I know what you mean. I think maybe uh, oh we should maybe it's also reflective of like the difficulty in making fantasy as opposed to like um something in a recognizable reality like uh right. like, the, like the Muppet movie, right? Where you don't really have to do that much work in terms of Yeah, cuz there's a car there. Yeah. So yeah. we already yeah. we already yeah. know this is New <laughs> right. York City or whatever, right? right? So yeah. Yeah, there's no forest retrofitting in this film. Um <laughs> but yeah, I uh I, oh man Fizz gig, I mean, what, what, what the hell? A mouth, hell? A, a ball with a mouth, right? Yeah, That's pretty ah, much. Ah. <laughs> Just that thing was annoying as fuck as a kid. Excuse my language, and it was annoying <laughs> as hell. Now I love him, but man, like he was annoying. He was just annoying. Obviously, some kind of comedic uh, sidebar, but I didn't really think that they needed that. I think it was to show also their connection to nature. But yeah, I don't know. Especially that... for, for Kira, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just didn't fit. I don't know. I, I don't hate the character or the, that little that little side character, but uh, I, th I felt that Agra was probably enough 
would have been enough. Mm. Yeah. Um, the as... bit where he's on the rock and the bloody, they're about to go on the stride, isn't it? Like, no, you stay here, Fizzy. <laughs> and, and rocking back and forth, <laughs> yeah. and you're all, you're like, like uh... yeah. But yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, I agree. I kind of like him. It, it didn't really need to be in there. Um, not Just a light bit of comic relief, but with a slight annoyance, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you guys think then of, uh, and and this I didn't like, the the weird I am a Gelfling flashbacks with Kim. Hey, I'm over here. Oh, well, they're mind Gelflings. Meld. Yeah, they're yeah they're Vulcan mind meld. Mind fasting mind is what they yeah. called it. Yeah, <laughs> mind fasting. <laughs> what a stupid bloody name. On a on a of of ESP. Mind <laughs> fasting. And every time as well. Uh, Jen's narration kicks in while his model blankly looks around at things and it goes I didn't know what to do but I tried to find myself in the forest and Kira helped me what? why are you narrating it? you just speak <laughs> that was really weird yeah. those two things were weird I think I mean I, I didn't have as much of an issue with it I guess I think partially because I think they kind of one thing they executed kind of well is that in, it's initially kind of confusing like mm. it, like it is for for Jen, where what 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 is this? What what is happening now? And then pretty quickly you 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 realize what what it is that they're sharing their memories together. Mm. Uh, so I mean I think they they executed it. Maybe they could have executed it better. Um, but but I got the gist of it, and yeah, I, it didn't really grate me all that much. No. I have a question for you guys. Is that a special power only Jen and him have? Because I'm confused by that. I, assume, I just watched I it and I still it don't understand. Thing. Thing That's what I, I assume too, maybe. but... Okay. Alright. I, I don't know why, but it's like the Gelflings seem to have like a, an assortment of powers. The ability to call nature. Some can read. Fucking now you're mind fasting. It's like, how did these guys Kira get their asses fly, kicked? Yeah. And Kira can suddenly fly at one point. Yeah, you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, Kira can fly. She, yeah, because she sprouts the butterfly wings out of her back. Yeah. And you're just like, dude, they're like Transformers. Where? Why did somebody not go, hey, we need to and, stop the and, Skeksy and shit? And the mind meld not only lets them sort of mix their memories, but also gives them like a telepathic connection that pays off later, apparently. Oh, yeah, because yeah, she called. Like, yeah, later. Yeah. yeah, we'll get to that. But yeah, yeah. you're right. I'd forgotten that connection but yeah i i didn't mind it i thought i i agree with silver i mean i agree that it might have been done better but i think overall i got the idea of what they were trying to portray yeah the weird talking i like the talking over the top of each other because you get the idea that there's cross signals going on they're so she's like yeah. yeah she's like blah 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 and he's and there because in today's day and age no way no way would a director allow that they'd be yeah. like this the audience yeah. is not smart enough to to parse these two voices and back then they're just like boom bro you gotta you gotta pick it up on your own and she's yep. talking and he's talking and your brain is like what's happening and <laughs> in that confusion i once again feel that that was probably done to make you you know Precisely. The, yeah, the camera is jen and so you're just you're as confused as fucking he is you're just like what is happening in this moment so yeah very cool all right let's kick on a bit then so we back up a bit Ogre, Jen meets Ogre. Ogre tells him more about the shard. She has shards. He does a musical thing. The shard goes purple. And we end up at where we've just been talking about. So Jen's in the forest. He meets Kira. There's the only other Gelfling when he thought he was the only one. They do the whole mind melding thing. And then then we start seeing... Mm, following them around a little bit. And starting to find them in the forest. And he's got a little plan. He wants to try and bring them back and take them to the Skeksis. And they'll let him back in. 
and they're wary of him. So they run away. And they get on the striders. They get the stupid fizz gig. Sorry, fizz gig. Well, we, we were missing um, like their their visit to the potlings to um Oh, Kira's of course, home. yeah, prior. Because the Kira's home, yeah. where she lived um, first. Where she takes uh, Jen after they meet initially. Yeah. Uh, and they have yeah. the party that is then interrupted. Yeah, and the podlings look very, very Muppet-like. Like, like yes. the, the most Muppet-like in the whole film. And I kind of like that. It's like the, yeah. The, yeah. the lowest end downgrade and then all the way up. And they're the, they're the hobbits. They're the kindly folk of the Shire who are there to invite They're people. throwing a party in the middle of a wasteland and they know yep. they could be yep. attacked at any moment. And they're yep. like, fuck it. And they're, let's play our shit. And, and they don't have a guard. they almost all got smiles on their faces. They don't, yeah, they're just happy as clams. They've all been lobotomized and they don't even have guards. They're like, nah, no worries. And then the Gotham come in and they're like, <gasps> and they hide in pots. They hide in pots, and you're all, dude. It's right there. He's watching you get in the pot. He's not gonna ignore that. Like that was that was video game almost, logic. Yeah, it was video game logic. Yeah. And do you, and it felt like it felt like they were being plucked like ripe fruit, which is what you're supposed to get. The that's what the Gartham are doing is grabbing them for later suckling. But it's just funny because it's just like. They're right there. They're not really doing anything. They just sort of run back and forth, and these mm. Gartham are just like putting them in a bag, right? They're just like, yeah. gish, 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 gish. it's almost snack like time, the way we, time, it's time. almost like a fishery for us, where it's like you have your trout and you just fucking reach in and you're like, I'm just grabbing one, <laughs> yeah. you know? It, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I love that. It's almost like the Ewok party, the bloody Jedi on a yeah. slightly lower scale, but we put everything's it. fine. We're done. <laughs> Don't worry All about it. Woo. Bad guys have given up. Um, the cuteness. Hard the when they were in the village, I, when I was young, I confused the podlings for gel younger gelflings, by the way. Right. I don't I think they did a great job. They said, oh, we're the only ones, but then you try to figure out how those two have, like, gelfling GPS. Because how did they find <laughs> themselves? But what really bothers me, they're in that village, and they you've got this passage of time. Mystics, Magra's village, I think is how it goes. Or it just goes Mystic, Village, Magra. Whichever one. Then you have Chamberlain, who is in a castle 60 fucking thousand miles away, suddenly <laughs> is behind them. How did he teleport? Oh, yeah. And this is something I hate about, and I'm not dissing on Dark Crystal. It's an old movie. This is not expected. But what I don't like is distance being ignored for plot's sake. Mm, and the, right. fact that, the fact that this crippled old bird was able to, like, travel faster than these guys who were on silt striders basically and get behind them so he could follow them back to the castle was a little was a little odd to me bit much of a yeah. stretch i think a little bit of a distance stretch yeah yeah and it may, and it's a shame because it makes a bit of a dissonance between yeah. time time in the film and mm -hmm. plot in the film and how those two things correlate yeah but yeah it's an odd one that's uh, nitpicking they, a little bit on my they, part but. no uh, but I mean, fair, fair nitpicking. But I mean, I mean, mm. they, they could have fixed that by showing he had a mount of some sort or something. They, like, that's a that Gartham, it, right? Because right? yeah. yeah. the Gartham, yeah. they, he could have just. It would have been, yeah, it would have been great if he's like he sees the Gartham and he looks and he's like, even if you saw him think about getting on them or something and writing but, them. Well, it just continues yeah. causality rather than kind of stopping it dead and then suddenly make it reappear a little bit later. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. So. Carry on with the journey, and they're on the striders. They're getting closer and closer to the Dark Tower. They've uh, escaped Chamberlain's clutches. <clears throat> but then, uh, oh, we should talk about Kira as well, just in terms of like her random flying. Like every time something happens, Jen just kind of oddly stands there, looks around, 
as if he's about to die. And then she goes, like, Jen, uh, activate. Oh, run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing, man? It's like he's, he's completely bombarded by too much all the time. And he's caught in some headlights and doesn't quite know what the hell to do. Kira's like super gelfling. Wings come out. She's speaking to animals. She's do you think ass. that's because she was raised by podlings and he was raised by the slow mystics, maybe? Well, no, I mean, the, wing, the, the, the wings, she says, of course you don't have. He says, oh, you have wings. And she tells him, you're a well, boy. You're, you're a boy. A boy. So you, of course, okay. don't have wings. So. Right, right, right. So that's very well done. That's that's that works enough for me. Just saying that that works enough for me. Yeah, it does. It's just sort of man. The, the boys really got the short end of the stick. Yeah, the boys got the <laughs> short end of the stick. It's like a praying mantis with the male this big yeah. and the female this big. And you're like, dude, you're yeah. fucked, man. <laughs> yeah, in both ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had forgot about her. Also, I think once again, you are supposed to identify with him as being surprised by everything. But yeah, you, I think it so. is a it, it is a savior not, complex. It's just not performed well enough for that yeah. one character. I think it's a little bit yeah. too blank stare rather than whoa what is that there, is, oh my there God. isn't any real personality to it you know He's a blank well do we understand thing, how yeah. he knew to play the flute to get the dark crystal to reverberate <laughs> no did, no idea was so i get instinct? that they instinct music obviously they're all music that's actually one of the things we haven't talked about yet is there's an undercurrent of musical stuff everywhere Mm. And the ancients do their humming and their all, you know, they oh, do yeah. that thing. The Skeksis yeah. at the, the end start to do Tibetan it. Tibetan throat singing kind of. Thing. Yeah, Tibetan yeah. throat yeah. singing. Um, there's the flute. There's the playing of the music in the village. There's him understanding it, her. So maybe we're just supposed to understand that, like, <coughs> you, that's a magic in and of itself, I guess. I, it's, I very didn't Zelda. Really pick it's very Zelda again, isn't it? Very Zelda-like. Yeah, it, it really ties into that kind or of... Or Zelda uh, is very Dark Crystal-like, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, Using music to perform things around the world. You don't see that very often. The He-Man yeah. movie? That was terrible. That was terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... I, with this, I will also say, uh, I also felt that when they're together and they sort of do describe um, that they're the last two... It's the typical thing where it's like, I thought I was the only one. Nope, you're not the only one. And as a kid, you don't pick up on that. But as an adult, I was like, are they going to just have a sequel if they had done a sequel where they're like, I thought I was the only one. No, you're the third of the only ones. And then pretty soon, <laughs> right? There's like, here's a village of the other 45 yeah, they, who thought they were the only they ones. They were like isolated in a volcano or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I thought that was, it, and not even a nitpick or a bad thing. I just, it, it was interesting. It was like, well, I thought I was the only one. You just happened to bump into me. And that was that was odd in and of itself. It's actually an interview with Henson and Frank Oz, and Henson says there would never be a sequel. The, the, the intention was that this film would be the end. There's no way that you could carry it on because of the way they ended it. Makes and sense. he even says, though, you could do a prequel or you could do another story within this world, but not yeah. this one. This one is done. Think... It's quite interesting because normally you want a sequel. I think one thing that's convenient about the style of story that the Dark Crystal is that's so heavily reliant on prophecy is that it does sort of fix a lot of the uh, convenience of, um, of randomness. Yes. Because, mm. oh, this was just prophesied. This was just yep. meant to be. They were just meant to run into each other at this exact time so that they could uh, merge the crystal, but mend the crystal. Um, so, so, I mean, that, that's, that's the positive side of it. To an extent mm. that 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 it explains those sort of random occurrences just with prophecy, it makes them both fit better, doesn't it? So you can have those odd occurrences, and it won't seem quite as out of context. Yeah. Well, and I mean, 
really when you look at like what a prophecy is it really is nothing more than uh, like mysticism layered over the top of coincidence yeah, yeah i mean that's really all it is and so yeah i i think i think that it, it does allow you to just sort of go yeah all right it's, it's a horoscope you know. that's all it is any yeah. horoscope you could basically rewrite uh, tomorrow you know, will be a things... good day and a bad day and you're all okay yeah. <laughs> wow. you go in is... It's it's wow. it's this need it's this need we have as human beings to sort of ascribe order to things. Oh, so, for sure, so yeah. Th there can't be. It it's disconcerting to us that random chance exists and that we could yeah. just randomly be run over or whatever. Or so that's why we say everything happens for a reason, right? We meet. Well, for Stephen a King People... has a great um a great quote where he says, "The lies we tell ourselves, we do so so we don't spend our days screaming." Yeah, precisely. And it's like that is yeah. that is pretty much because if you understood the chaos of life, you'd be like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. Like yeah. anything, any you can have a stroke at any moment in your life. You can yeah. have these random things, and so saying it's you know that there's some preordained, there's a reason for this. Definitely helps you get through it. And certainly yeah, in a story like this, it works be a really broad well. Stroke meaning doesn't there? So that broad yeah. stroke yeah. can be can fit this whatever it is, and then give it that extra depth that you that you want from it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think overall when you look at the prophecy and um, how it was told, though, it was very basic. So there yes. was enough there that I didn't feel that they were too locked off to taking their own actions. And I still felt risk even now yeah. watching it. My yeah, brain was yeah. like, they could die, even though I've watched it 48 times. Obviously, they don't die. It's not an interactive. It's not magically going to change, but it, it, it's it, still it also caught isn't, me. isn't clear because, I mean, the prophecy is just that a Gelfling will do it. So is that, Gelf, is that Gelfling going to be Kira, or is it going to be Jen? Right. And there is sort of that, right. that uncertainty that either Jen or Kira could die. Like yeah, the, very much so. Like the moment Kira gets caught and then yeah. strapped in into uh, like the professor's dungeon and his torture chair, uh, yeah, is is a moment where you go, uh oh, uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> not going to end well. Yeah. I love that scene as well. I love that whole setup. You know, the crystal setup to drain the life essence of these podlings and gelflings, and feed the general to make him younger. It's very yeah. Star Wars almost. <laughs> it feels. It like is, that kind but of... I have a question for you guys. Do you understand the power? So the dark crystal is dark now. Obviously, um, it's been broken. Why does the dark crystal suck gelfling power and give it to other people? Like, was this just a, a shitty crystal all the time? And I, it, it seemed odd to me that it was used for that purpose. I don't know why it seemed odd. It just didn't seem to fit anything else. Like, may, I thought that... Maybe with the shard in, when it was pure... It, it wouldn't do life? that, maybe. It maybe gave so. essence or something? Yeah, maybe, maybe so. reverse? The, the sense I got was that it was maybe a result of that ritual that they do. Like, the, Skex, the Skeksis. Um, like, when they're all gathered around the crystal. In a circle and, around yeah, it. Yeah. And mm. worship it. Okay. So that it can rejuvenate them, but the way it rejuvenates them is through that whole process of, okay. it, of it draining uh, actively draining other creatures like a corrupted crystal where yeah when yeah. it's all together because at the end which we'll get to that would make sense because at the end somebody is healed and that, from and, a, and a that fatal may, wound may, so. maybe it wasn't so much that the crystal itself was corrupt but that it was corrupt the use by of the skexis yeah yeah okay makes sense well that whole end sequence i mean so so kira gets captured by chamberlain the conniving little scum and he wanders back and gets accepted back in again. And at this point, Jen doesn't know what's going on and has to try and make his way to the tower, get himself inside. Jen is in mortal danger of uh, being drained of her life essence. 
And to the rescue comes one gen for the first time in the entire damn film. Well, telepathically, yeah. Telepathically, yeah. Um, the ending is good, but it's a bit annoying. I mean, it's, it's, okay, so by now, the mystics, um, the, the beam has appeared. The mystics are all on their way very, very slowly. Very slowly. <laughs> like, how much stuff happens in the tower by the time they're just going, oh my god. Okay, have you seen... Gelflings would have died of old age. <laughs> yeah, man. The you know, prophecy would have been done long over. You know who the um, the mystics really reminded me of? Um, have you seen um, Rango? Yeah. yeah. Like the moving cacti in that movie. Oh. <laughs> True. Like just, just the yeah, way they move kind of like hunched over the same mm. really, really slow. Mm. That was sort of the immediate um, association that I got. What I liked also was when they took Jen, or sorry, they took uh, Kira, and they show the feast scene, and they show oh, the gluttony yeah. that the Skeksis. Good, yeah. That yeah. and and they did such a good job of them trying to get the one rat. That's the best part of the movie, I think. When that rat's running across the table and they're all chopping at it and it's getting past them all, or whatever that rat is. It's not a rat. It's supposed no, to be yeah. a, some kind of rodent. Whatever. Creature. Yeah. Yeah. One <laughs> um, yeah. Exactly. I, I think they did a really good job showing their gluttony, and also that gluttony isn't really reflected a lot of times. I noticed in their bodies. So like when when Chamberlain gets his armor torn off, he's actually quite emaciated. He's not very big, and you get the idea that they all have this, like, almost outer shell of fakeness. Yeah. Even the Gartham, you know, they're almost mm. empty, huge shells, and you get this idea, and even they collapse at the end, like there's nothing holding them up. Mm. And I sort of like the dichotomy there of, of that, and I love the gluttony they showed, because yeah. it, it just showed, like, power with no mentality. There was no mentality on their no part. Restraint. It was yeah. like, no restraint, it was, I'm going to eat everything, which includes the power of another person includes the food in front of me each other there they were like their vice was just at a hundred percent they were maxed out in their vice stat the entire time and i think that worked really well as bad guys i, I think that was the best part because they were physically if they got a hold of them they were screwed yeah, like but un, at any other point consumption yeah 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 it was it was very well done and especially that scientist because you get the idea when he's got the podlings and all of the uh the cages the small animals yeah. everywhere yeah and the small animals and you're just like it's just even that is is too far like you there everything about him is so extreme and it's done so well for all of the different even the opulence in the emperor's home when you see the emperor's um room like the draperies that victorian era the canopy bed and he's yeah, got like yeah very when, grandiose oh dude and he's all emaciated this is at the starting so yeah. jumping back but when he's like i i i am still emperor <clears throat> there's this little bird little baby bird in this big bed with thousands of pillows and cut like it's yeah. it's got this over the top everything about them is over the top like it's it's so crazy man i love that dichotomy i think it's done really well in that well they remind me of like lords you know yeah, yeah. lords yeah. corrupt like, lords yeah 17th century british lords with the, the corruption the money they had the power they had the they are the one percent they yeah. had they are the one exactly. percent yeah yeah <laughs> jesus they are <laughs> skexy the one percent um swamp, another baby. So, do you guys believe that the strength, the the stone, the uh, the strength test was a mimicry then of the original crystal being broken? Because if you look at them attacking that crystal, it's the same shape as the, as the shard. And I got the opinion that that's like them, like still damaging, like it's some kind of weird. I mean, it couldn't have been on accident. 
I don't think the, the Jim Henson wouldn't have put it in there for a reason. It felt to me like the test of strength they do, and that shot you see it later, and it's on the ground because the the general broke it. I kept getting the idea of like for some, it was almost like cyclic, like they couldn't get over it. It was like because they knew, yeah, remember, kind of they knew they fucked up. Yeah, they knew. They all knew. Both the mystics and the skexies technically knew that what they had done was was bad. They admit at the end when they're combined. And but the I'd always wonder if they that. put that shot in then. That's yeah, them I, that's them destroyed in the way they are. Yeah, I just always wondered also if that was supposed to be a foretelling of it coming back together, of him breaking it. Because the general doesn't just do more damage. He Breaks literally the shatters off, yeah. the piece again. And yeah. I just felt that that was some cool foreshadowing if that was on purpose. <laughs> and I didn't know if you guys thought that was or if that was just more of a, hey, here's a cool set piece. No, I think um, it was. I think there was foreshadowing there. The, the shape of it, the way it was chopped off. And it was almost like a semi retelling of their version of what happened it, prior with exactly the that's how years i felt ago, you know yeah okay let's let's start winding towards the end then uh, the one the one scene i want to talk about which is the, the, the okay so the, the mystics are there now they're all together um everything's ramped up to this one scene where jen has managed to get on top of the crystal with the shard uh, sorry not with the shard yet Kira is stood off being held by the Skeksis. He drops the shard um, when he lands on top of it, of the crystal. When he lands, yeah, and she picks it up, and the general's got a knife over her. Jen's saying, just a POS hero, oh, man. plain and simple. He's, he's, I'm he, just joking. He, he's, he's not quite anywhere near what a hero should be. I mean, if Fro <laughs> Frodo, Frodo is rocking compared to this. <laughs> yeah, true. And that's saying something. <laughs> so he's on top of the crystal. He's pleading with the Skeksis not to kill Kira. Kira's got the shard, General's got a knife held above her, and then why doesn't she use her wings to fly up and put the crystal in the just in the, with the, the wings that she's got to just, you know, fly up? Oh. And... I was like, hmm? I didn't so think, I think about that. That's that, just a little bit odd. But I, I really like the kind of iconic slow-mo throw. And then what catches you, I think, as a kid is the fact that Kira is actually killed. Now, obviously, there's the, the, the thing afterwards where she's reborn, and we kind of come to expect that was going to happen. But as a kid, that's like, whoa! Yeah. yeah. Actual knife death, like a stabbing has just taken place, not some yeah. magical death of some kind. Yeah, a proper backstabbing of a elven child, basically. Yeah, true. That's pretty harsh. <laughs> yeah, man. It's a pretty dark it. film for a kid's film. It, it really was, is. And it was done by the Chamberlain, right? From what I remember. It was the Chamberlain no, stab. Wait, I thought that was no, the wizard. I think it was the or, general. No, the, the wizard. No, it was either. It was. No, it wasn't the general. I think it was the guy in the really red robes. Oh, the second was, in command, almost. The second in command, yeah. almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, it definitely wasn't Chamberlain. So yeah, so she dies. He restores the crystal. The Skeksis and the Mystics reform to the Master Race or whatever they were, and. Jane carries um, Kira's body, and then they bring her back to life. I and he, like... and he, the, the I love the puppetry because they had they wanted to give have oh, him do yeah. like almost like a little steeple yeah. of his hands, and his puppetry is like trying to get the hand together. Because I just watched that right before we started the podcast. Um, with, with that, I don't know about you guys, but the best part of that entire scene i personally believe is that if you look very closely at the what are we going to call them the final form their final form final um, form <laughs> the mystics and skexies both share there's a bunch of shit that's overlaid on top of those guys when you look closely mm -hmm. that mimics that they were at some point combined 
And so you get the snout, you get yeah. the crystalless looking spires that are almost like the spikes from the Skeksis. You get the markings on the cheeks and skin. But then what they do is make them hyper tall and hyper mm. lean. And but you can still, if you look close, the eyes are very much like this the Skeksy eyes, like mm. except they're glowing this time. And I really liked the overall look. I thought they did just a good enough job to make you understand they were supposed to, you know, at one time be. You yeah, know, together. definitely. Yeah, and there's some technical issues in that as the film develops towards the end, particularly with um, with the optical work and the way the backgrounds are working with the foreground sometimes. Because obviously back then we're talking no green screen, obviously no CGI, yeah. no way of removing hands or anything else there to reshoot everything if a scene went wrong. But the opticals are a little bit off here and there, and also the focus, the focus pulls sometimes. Mm. And ogres near the end, and there's a few mm -hmm. other shots which isn't quite there. It's not quite as sharp as it should be. I'm not sure whether that's just um, how difficult it is to light these sets at the time, along with these different types of puppets and lighting sources, and, and the way the crystal kind of emits light as well. But yeah, it's such a satisfying kids' film. I mean, you talked about the banquet scene. I mean, I when I was a kid, that is the scene I had the most fun with. Oh, like, yeah. like like Hook. Yeah, you know, I know Hook came later, but like like the the scene in Hook where they're all eating the imaginary food and it becomes real. But in this, the gluttony, the shoving in of the food, ah. Oh, well, that, or that whole Willow. Scene is amazing. Willow, Willow when they go to the bar and yeah. there's all these drunks at the bar. They do. There's a festive moment, even though it's dark as hell, because the one grabs the live creature and puts it in his mouth and slurps his tail yeah. down. But they still did a really yeah. good job of being. I mean, you saw them, yeah, they were scary. They were scary as hell, because as a kid, I, I definitely had nightmares of a, about a couple of them. But they, there was something humorous about it at the same time. And you yeah. also get the idea that it, they did a good job of, yeah, they're scary. They're more physical than the mystics. But in during that scene, and even at the end, the Gelfling did sort of steal the, the crystal shard, give mm -hmm. it to her boyfriend, who uselessly does his one thing. But... When you look at it, like, I think they did a good job of showing them scary, but at the same time, if you were smart, like I said, if you were smart and understood what you were doing, you could you could defeat them at all times. Also, the Gelflings are sneaking around. It's like uh, Luke sneaking around the Death Star at the, yeah. in the first Star <laughs> yeah, Wars. Nobody yeah. notices this dude in a brown fucking <laughs> robe running through dark hallways. In this, the Gelflings are sneaking everywhere, and people are just like, anyway, and, you know, and they're so... Um, they're so turned in on themselves, greed-wise, that they don't mm. see anything else going on. Which, I, I again, I think is to the credit of the story developers, which I didn't know about no vocals, and that it was more of a visual yeah. tale at first. I think they did, I think... That's why it took so long pre-production-wise, just to, I mean, um, post-production, just to get that right. Ages I, and ages. I think, it, I think it turned out well. I will say, I noticed some technical stuff. Um, I This is back in the day, but I did notice many times when Jen and... Uh, Kira move around. You can actually see the puppet, uh, the, the piston, the pole, the, yeah, the pole. Yeah, the bottom, yeah. especially. Yeah, I noticed, especially when they're moving the land striders. Like that's, that's exactly that's when right. Really obvious. Yeah. yeah, I was just gonna ask you guys. Do you think that was because Jim Henson was funding this, and he just was like, "Listen, it's I'm not gonna spend forty million to go back and reshoot." So, do you think it was that, or do you think it was back in the day that was okay? Because I can't remember, to be honest, um, if, I, I if that was a, okay back I, then. I think it's a little bit of both. I think you could get away with some elements of that back in the day. Okay. But this is his own money in the end. This is 20 million. That's the, yeah. that's the budget for this whole film with these elaborate sets and costumes. Back in the day, design. by the way, inflation. 82, what was that worth? Man. What was that yeah. worth back then, right? 
Yeah. yeah, I mean that you know that is not a big budget, not for what he wanted to pull off. No, forget forget even forget even the set designs. Take everything away. Just look at the costumes yeah. and the puppets themselves. The amount of people controlling a puppet, the expertise there, the stages with holes underneath where you had to you know, secure the ropes. Exactly, man. Yeah. That stuff is astounding for that kind of budget. And they get some amazingly talented people working on it. Absolutely. It's one of the most visually stunning dark fantasy or fantasy films there is out there and that, and that goes up with the big boys as well you know your lord of the rings and stuff because the world is so generally consistent apart from probably the forest which we don't see quite enough of to really get into yeah i wonder if because it wasn't supposed because there weren't vocals at the starting it was supposed to be gibberish language and stuff they just thought the forest was a good mid place for the story because you've got your village your quiet peaceful village you've got your castle you've got your let's be honest this is tatooine all over again you've sort yeah, of oh, got yeah, yeah. each planet in in a moment in dark crystal your forest mm. planet which is the forest and they it feels like it was just a midpoint and then your technological Coruscant, which is magra's home which i gotta say is my favorite of all of the locations like i yeah, don't know no, about you guys i'd like to know right, what yeah. your favorite locations are mine's mine's Agra's. so do you yeah, guys like have a favorite location yeah yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mine as well. Like I said before, the the intricacy of its design is so cool, and, and the sound, like the, the grinding. Yeah. Um, the they must have used like a, a grinding thing to get that fully work. But I think, that's I think the moment Jin steps in there is probably the most visually arresting moment of the film. Like when he first yeah, comes pans. up, and sees, yeah, yeah, and yeah, it, and along with like the swell music that accompanies it. <laughs> Well, just the fact as well that when she, when, when you know the way she speaks and she's almost like this is just a crackpot with stuff yeah. everywhere. There could yeah. be books on magic over there and some random prophecy. I mean, she's the best character in there. the film, I think. Anyway, very yeah. much so. Yeah. Are you talking about Agra? Yeah, yeah. Chamberlain and Agra are easily the scene stealers. Yeah, yeah, they're, and they're they're the ones with the most potent personalities and characteristics, which I think shine through. Whereas. You know, some of the other characters perhaps don't have the screen time or just don't have the developed characters to make the necessary impact. But those two are brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And Fizzgig, why not? It's all right. It's bold. It's I don't know if you guys saw this, but I just watched Labyrinth. And I personally believe that Agra's, um, the style also reflects in the, um, the character who's supposed to be another girl that has collected shit on her back in Labyrinth. So in oh, Labyrinth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's the gir the girl that you find out is basically Jennifer Conley's predecessor who sold her child to the Goblin King. That character, if you look at the way Agra looks and you look at that character, there's I'm not saying they look identical in any way, shape, mm. or form. What I'm saying is the overall, even the way they talk, the collection of items, like her, you know, she even has the crystals in a bag, right? Or something like in Dark Crystal, she's like, <sighs> she throws all these crystals down. She's like, it's one of them. Yeah. You know, there's something very trashy. And she's like the old bag lady, mm, yeah. the old crazy bag lady on the side of a street somewhere who is speaking in riddles and tongues. And you're like, is she knowledgeable or is she just batshit insane and needs to take a shower? Yeah. yeah. Like, can you see the logic? Because if you can see it, it might be good. <laughs> right. Right. But it might be yeah. crazy. Yeah, it was very cool. I didn't understand where she was prior to this, though. Did you guys? And do we know what was Agra? What was Agra? Was she a one-of-a-kind character in that world? Well, I mean, maybe, I, th maybe I think ogre. Um, maybe that's the name. Maybe it's just a variation like on that. The, she's kind of an ogre thing. The el oh, the, el the elder is um, basically just just calls her like the astronomer. Like she's this oracle mm. kind of thing. 
Um, but yeah, so I mean, she, she not appears... a pod person, right? She's not a no. podling that's grown no, up into is. an old I age. Think she, or I think she is her own species. We just don't see. Okay. Um, like her fellow kind. Ogra sounds right. Sleeve saying, you know, was it just a play on ogre? Oh, like, like a, tro a troll type character. You know that kind of a little more intelligent. Or... Yeah, 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 but I mean the look of her. Mm, fits. Yeah. I love it when she takes her eye out. Dude. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> so cool. Like she's only got one eye to begin with. She's like, only got one eye now. to begin with. Yeah, it's like, did she lose the other one? Is that like she left it somewhere and forgot where it was? And, you know, right now it's dried out and it's like, want some visine so on a funny. cliff somewhere? So funny. When yeah, she captured I, it, and she takes it out and she's looking around the room. And I also love the color use everywhere. Like they, there. I mean, this the the starting location was definitely pretty cool. But I feel that when they got in the castle, and strangely enough, for like a desiccated area, there was a lot of color work there that I loved, even more so than when they're traveling. But it's like the reds, the purples, opulence, like you said, Purples the one percent. Yeah, yeah, the one percent. You know, and just the the finery. There was golds and purples in their rooms. Mm. It was. They did such a good job setting that off with the colors and the looks. Yeah, very yes. well done. The set design in this film is... is what did you guys think else. of the sound work? I thought it was also pretty well done. Yeah, like yeah. it didn't pretty, have the yeah. old sound I expected. The casting was good. I think I think that the voice actors performed most of their roles really, really well. Apart from, again, maybe Jen, I just found very flat. And that's the intention, of course. But even so, didn't land with me very well. But yeah. then, yeah, the actual soundscape itself and the design has that nice sense of weight to a lot of stuff, but also that nice sense of otherworldly effects, mm -hmm. like the crystal going, you know, and these different, right. these different mashups of sounds to create this, this, um, these beam effects or these slightly more ethereal effects that perhaps you wouldn't have in a in a more grounded type of film. But they work well; it's balanced well. Yeah, or the creaking, like we already talked. Talk, touched on our character uh, like the creaking of the planetarium like device yeah yes yeah. so, so good yeah. and I, as somebody who watches these old movies beastmaster willow you know legend troll we just watched mm. troll in the b movie night in the discord troll too those maybe. they age poorly usually right mm. like the sounds you start like quick and you can tell it's just a piece of lettuce being chopped mm. right but that creaking when he goes into the planetarium, and again, this could have been remastered in some way, but the creaking and grinding, it sounded like a, a, a bread maker, a mill, a, what do you call it? Like a grinder for um, wheat, like with a right. stone rolling across. Oh, you could hear, pa uh, yeah, you could hear that, gr like the grit being ground up. Mm. And the, it did such a good job that even now when I listen to it, or the glass breaking didn't have the warble that you get in older sound effects and i don't know maybe that's jim henson just uh making sure that his source was collected on the new media as he went forward so that it didn't age because i don't know yeah. how they went about remastering it but um or or keeping it current but yeah the sound was really well done i overall well, i think i think probably because henson had done so much puppetry prior to then one of the most important things to get a, a right in sound in puppetry animation etc yeah because if you get most things, it you know it makes it bad. Whether it's a film, TV, whatever. But in puppetry, in particular, you're emphasizing a physical action by a non-human character. So you have to have an effect which accentuates or is additive to that particular movement or whatever it is. So, I think it was designed beautifully. Did it bother you guys that Fezgig didn't really have feet? No, no, not really. No? He just kind oh, of rolled around. 
<laughs> he did. Yeah. He was like Pac-Man, right? How yeah. do you imagine his feet, though? Like, like I don't dogs, know, like but I. Uh, yeah. Yes. A uh, little tiny. Oh, like I don't Hubert, know. Like Hubert, maybe. There you go. Like, <laughs> it, like he, he's just leaping up on things, but I can't tell if he's supposed to be bouncing. And so, yeah, yeah. because uh, he is a ball, he, yeah. he looks like a ball. I don't think you ever see him standing. You see him standing there talking at times or making a sounds, but I didn't. Never saw like two feet jutting out. Which would have probably looked dumb anyway. Maybe Jim was just like, let people maybe, imagine. Maybe he gets propulsion you know. from farting. I mean, from fart, like, yeah. or, or like Farscape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was also he Jim is kind of like a dog. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, and then when he opens his mouth, you can, that was the one time, the only puppetry in the entire movie I was not happy with. When he opens his mouth, you can see it's a puppet perfectly. They, did, they didn't do his canal for his throat. Yeah. They, you can they see couldn't. The black hole right down. You could see, see the black hole in the palm. Yeah. You know, mm. where somebody would have done that. That was the one time where I was like, mm, I wish they had not had that character do that or mm. something to that effect. But yeah, yeah, very interesting title. Okay, well, let's start Let's start wrapping it up. I mean, first of all, for those people who haven't seen it, go and watch it. It's an hour and a half long. It's not long. Fuck it's yeah. prob probably the best designed puppet-based movie that's ever been made aesthetically and in terms of the puppets. It doesn't feature any humans. It's a masterclass in visual design. Some of the sets are stunning, as Carrick said. The, the colour work, the, the colour balance, the lighting, the sound effects, the, the musical score, they are all absolutely fantastic. Now, you might find a better narrative and more heart in Labyrinth. That's yeah. safe to say. Because you've got big actors, you've got a better, stronger story, and you've still got some amazing characters, but we get more focus on them. Yeah. Whereas you don't, maybe quite in Dark Crystal, but it's one of my favourite films of all time for a reason and that's maybe nostalgic because i grew up with it but i think so many elements of this film strong it's really engaging to watch yeah yeah i i would agree really engaging to watch uh i i would consider it like a must see um mm. and i mean just we 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 owe jim henson <laughs> so much um like genius one of a kind genius of his generation um and, and I'm so, so thankful that we still get his legacy today, that we still get, like, I mean, it's been a while now, but we got two new Muppet movies. Now we're getting a new Dark Crystal show. Um, yeah. And, so, yeah. Uh, speaking of that, who's doing the Dark Crystal show? Is it like his it, son or like the, the company? Jim Henson. Jim Henson yeah, it's, so, the, yeah. it's the Jim Henson company. So everything you see in the trailer, that they've said everything they can make they practical. Yeah. It's practical. Which I think is absolutely blind, and I cannot. They wait have to. For I mean, to see it. anything else? You, you of, couldn't. Yeah. You couldn't do it any other way because the look is so detached from anything else. It's yeah. just make a CG version. It just. It's kind of like when when Artman went digital, right? Artman is like the, oh, for, the stop for, for pirates, the stop, yeah. the stop motion mm -hmm. guys who made um, Wallace and Gromit and Chicken Run and stuff. When they went over to make like fully CG movies, like Flushed Away and and that Flushed Away, movie, yeah, um, it didn't quite it did, work. It, well, the, well, it's the same as when you... I mean, we, we talked about it before, but we've talked about Lord of the Ring and The Hobbit. It's it's so similar. You take away those real orcs and you put in CGI ones and it feels entirely different. You have no connection anymore because there's no weight. It doesn't feel right. You don't see the these thousands of extras stamping their feet like an army on the ground. So you need that tangibility. Yeah. I, I, I would say with Dark Crystal, I would add to what these guys said at the finish is that... Um... Also, it would be a good movie to watch if you want to understand where half of the archetypes we see in movies 
fantasy yeah. movies come from right now. Like, if you look at, I mean, not lying. If you go look at GI Joe and you see, you know, Starscream and Megatron, you you look at these guys and you're like, oh shit, those are the same dudes. And the all of that work and why people like puppetry so much, or mm. it seems to be getting, I think, a little bit coming back where people are looking at it and going, practical does work in a lot of these places. Um, yeah, it is a masterclass in a lot of ways. There's certainly issues. But I don't think any masterpiece I've ever read or watched or listened to has ever been perfect. There's always no, no, there's always things. But for the time frame, this is like Jim Henson. I think not only at his best, but once he worked on it, then everything after that seems to have gotten better. Like not that he was mm -hmm. bad before, but it just seems like this is where there was this cusp and then mastery just everything he did, you were like, what the hell? It's just show after show, movie after movie, um, I think a lot of that was built on the difficulties Dark Crystal probably offered and some learning some learning moments that, yeah, that occurred. Muppet movie first, and then it ma they made the Muppet movie first, I think, right? And then Dark Crystal yeah, after yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you've got him doing entire TV shows like Farscape, you know, where you're, you're just looking at like a master class in making aliens look real yeah, I mean, instead it's, of it's more and more um elaborate and more and more real as those techniques develop and the finesse that you gain from it yeah yeah i mean for, for me growing up the big show was was fraggle rock um they, for they got, sure they got like syndication i here. love yeah um, down at fraggle, fraggle rock. rock yeah <laughs> loved that yeah that and, and that was another show that had this sort of um this hint kernel of darkness to it with um with the, the the threat of of the uh, like the, the trolls or whatever they were, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yep. and the swamp and the real world yeah. and yeah, I I love man, I love Fraggle. We need to do a Fraggle Rock podcast. <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be cool. Fraggle Rock would be cool. Love that so much. Okay, well, that's been Dark Crystal. Go and watch it. It's bloody awesome. It's stunning to look at, and everyone with a passing remote interest in any kind of fantasy should give it a watch. It's on pretty much yeah. everything. Definitely. And I'll be on yeah. Netflix in three months' time, just before the film, the uh, series comes out. I would imagine. Okay, Silver, what are we watching next week, sir? Well, in honor of uh, Total War: Three Kingdoms, uh, we'll, we will be watching a John Woo's uh, major epic about uh, the Three Kingdoms, which is Red Cliff, the, or the Battle for Red Cliff. I think is mm -hmm. it's also known as. Um, huge Please elaborate Chin upon huge Chinese our particular epic. viewing experience that's going to happen. A particular what? Viewing experience is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, we're going to um, go for it because um, it was released in two different versions. One in China, it was released in a part one and a part two. Uh, and mm -hmm. then it was condensed into one two hour, uh, two hour and a two and a half hour film for the Western audiences. And we're going to try and mm. catch the uh, like the full Chinese two part version, which is going to be like five hours. And we're going to try and watch it together. Gotcha. Bring on the epic, baby. Okay, well, this has been the Last Edit Podcast. Thank you for coming on, Karakov Special Yeah, guest. thanks yeah, for inviting me. That was a blast, man. man. That was awesome. That was to have you back awesome. up again talk some 80s yeah, movies. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right, yeah. we'll be back very soon. So come and watch us. Watch us in the comments. What do you think about Dark Crystal? What do you think about the upcoming series? What do you think about the glory of Jim Henson? Thank you again, Karak. We've been The Last Podcast. Take it easy. Take care. Peace out.